The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material going back to 2008, subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. You'll receive your login immediately. And tonight we discuss Earth changes, government secrecy, the UFO and ET cover-up, from the perspective of a CIA whistleblower, with our special guest, Linda Moulton Howe, right now on Veritas. Linda Moulton Howe is a graduate of Stanford University with a master's degree in communication. She has devoted her documentary film, television, radio, writing, and reporting career to productions concerning science, medicine, and the environment. Linda has received local, national, and international awards, including three regional Emmys, a National Emmy nomination, and a Station Peabody Award for medical programming. In addition to television, Linda produces reports and edits the award-winning Science, Environment, and Earth Mysteries news website, earthfiles.com, which is also linked at our website. And directly from the land of enchantment, New Mexico, I would like to welcome the one and only Linda Moulton Howe back to Veritas. Hello, Linda. Welcome back. Thank you, Mel, very much. We have had a week of uh, what seemed like hurricane winds here while the rest of the country was suffering a variety of uh, different weather, but I can say that this is a land of enchantment when the wind is not blowing. Absolutely. And, you know, I live in Arizona, very similar to New Mexico. And the other day I woke up in the morning, went outside, and the winds were just incredible. And I thought, what a day for catching fire. And one of my businesses caught fire that day. So that wind is really bad. This weather... This weather we're seeing, is this natural? No, this is definitely a change. And it is so intriguing to me that I go all the way back to the first interviews that I was doing about computer modeling with a Professor McElroy at Harvard University. The timeline was around 1970, probably 76, They were just beginning really trying to get a handle 
on what scientists that many years ago were warning that they were already beginning to see that there were incremental rises in CO2. Everyone knew that we have vast amounts of methane tied up in the tundra up north. And scientists were trying to see, are we really on the verge of taking the Industrial Revolution and inserting it into the big Earth climate system without realizing what the consequences might be. And from those early day interviews in which Professor McElroy at Harvard told me that his educated prediction for what the world would be like in 30 years from then, which would be coming up uh, into this era, that there would be increased intensity in storms. There would be more water on the East Coast, fires and drought on the West Coast. That there might even be a problem with the Midwest of the United States with increasing physical energy in storms and tornadoes, and that eventually the so-called bread basket would have to move further north, and that in fact, in the 21st century, where food might be threatened in some parts of the world completely, while others would have lots of water and growth, that we might even be in a position where Canada and the United States would have to come to some sort of international treaty where the food for the United States, such as wheat and some of the grains, might have to be uh, shared that responsibility in Canada because even that long ago, the computers were suggesting that there would be such drastic changes in the growth cycles of plants. Now, this is 2014. I lived through all those interviews. I have been called every name in the book, in radio, in television, trying to just simply report science facts over the years as climate change has occurred, people can argue all day long if they want to about what the source of the climate change is. It is indisputable that the climate of the planet is changing and that there is more energy, that there is more water being held in warmer air. And what we just saw yesterday in Pensacola, Florida, where you have 24 inches of rain come down in a short period of time, and the only consequence of something like that is going to be floods. All of this has been discussed by scientists. You will increasingly hear more discussions. And now I will jump to the, we'll call it the educated skeptic side. They will say, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, there was a 1,000 parts per million CO2. So what is the big deal if we're at 400? Here is the bottom line answer for everyone, I hope, listening to take in to heart and think about what has been happening. The 400 parts per million that we are almost about to reach has occurred in a huge, dramatic rise in a century. When you go back through the ice cores and the various other cores that scientists study about the changes in Earth's climate which have happened since the beginning of this planet four and a half billion years ago, uh, that 
what you see in in all of the research that goes back to the time of the dinosaurs and before is that climate change has always been rather gradual. A few places where it has been rapid, like now, but there is, and I believe this is a fair statement, anybody can research this and come back to me if I'm in error, but it's my understanding, having talked with a lot of scientists in the last decade, that there is no precedent for the rapid rise in CO2 as has occurred between the 20th and the 21st century to date. That is the key, the rapidity. And when you have rapid climate change, you have rapid changes in temperature in zones, it means that plants and animals are struggling to keep up with the changes and that humans are beginning to realize we're not having a vicious, horrible storm once every five years or once every three years. We are having horrible, vicious, intense, energetic storms throughout every year now. And the toll eventually, how far can we go before all of the governments of the planet are struggling simply to try to cope with the impact of storms? That, to me, is still an unanswered question, but you couple that with already, this is science, we're not talking about speculation, the rise in the average sea level uh, right now, in 2014 going forward, has already been revised upward. The expectation is that there could be, in a conservative estimate, maybe three to four feet of a rise in the average sea level around the world by the end of this century. That's the conservative estimate. Well, Mel, everyone listening, you get at four feet of water above the current Florida beach, and what have you got? You've got huge parts of Florida and other parts of the southeast that will be inundated with water on a regular growing basis, and then what happens with hurricanes and, and any kind of a storm like the nor'eastern up in the northeastern part of the United States, your storm surges go in. It's a, there's a mathematical formula. For every inch rise in sea level, the storm surge going inland goes in further. There is actual mathematical calculation for that. Four feet higher in the next uh, 85 years, well, the damage is going to be so much worse. And this is why I think at least the value of everybody on the planet trying to face squarely, if we keep contributing not only CO2 but now methane, Methane is melting from the Arctic and the northern uh, climes above Canada faster than anybody had expected by now. And people are not talking about this. Methane release increases the blanket, the so-called blanket around the Earth, that much faster than CO2. Right now, we're talking about 2014 numbers and projections and islands like the Maldives that are already scheduled to go underwater in the foreseeable future and what happens to all those people. Well, give us another decade, 2024, 
What will it look like in only 10 years? These are facts. This is not politics. This is not some food for uh, people to sit around and argue. These are the facts, and these facts are serious, and the consequences of these facts are on all Earth life. And that's why I feel passionate about trying to learn as much as I can, report the facts to the best of my ability, because we only have this one planet to live on. Absolutely. And the, the, the word here when it comes to weather, at least to me, is extreme, because we had the coldest winter in many states, but it was also the warmest January in recorded history in Alaska, and we hardly saw that. The news talk about that. And I also, you know this, I returned from Europe the last few days, and uh, chemtrails were there everywhere, in France, in Spain. I wonder if there's anything, any relevance to what we're seeing weather-wise with this. And I spoke to a lot of people there who said to me, Mel, I'm not seeing spring or fall. It's just summer or winter. It just goes, goes like this. Anyway, tell us what you found. Yes, this reminds me so much of the first 1996 uh, reports that Art Bell and I were getting at what then was Dreamland that we were doing every weekend, and Coast to Coast was just getting started in 95, and Art was having me do sometimes five-hour programs. He'd call me up and say, hey, do you want to do a whole show, which then was five hours, on (laughs) global climate change? (laughs) So I have, uh, I've really uh, tried to stay focused on the facts in this, and at the same time that we began doing a lot of uh, global climate change reports, Art and I both started receiving in the mail, uh, because there was not as much computer then, a lot of mail and a lot of phone calls about these, what people were calling for the first time, the white 90-degree crossing lines in the sky that people were saying, we've never seen the sky look like this before. They started sending photographs through hard mail, and you were looking at what looked like an ice tray in the sky. Well, in, uh, I think it was about a month period, Art received two or three videotapes that he sent me And they were showing the thick white streams coming from the back of a large silver plane that had what appeared to be an orange, red-orange-ish kind of circle on the tail. I tried to find out what this was, this plane, who who would be the uh, manager, who would be the source of this plane. It was not identifiable to Art, to me, and most pilots that I showed the photos to. But the next step that was even eerier were the videotapes. And I remember distinctly that I believe we received three, three different videotapes, three different parts of the United States. And the one that is the most dramatic, it shows the white thick coming out of the silver plane with the uh, red-orange circle on the tail. And then in the 
wake of whatever the white is that's coming out of the plane, you can clearly see what looks like a silver disc. This is not interpretation. This is what it looked like. A silver disc that is moving in and out in a kind of um, surfing motion in and out of the white, thick material that is coming out of this plane. Well, I tried so hard in 1996 to find any hard uh, physical paper trail, whistleblowers, anyone who could give me hard information beyond the fact that the general public was beginning to notice that the sky was filling with patterns of white lines that no one had ever seen before. Uh, Jim Mars and I, uh, I think it was around that year, we were at a conference in Sedona together, and we were standing out in a parking lot with about a half a dozen. There had to be six or eight of us. It was the perfect Sedona, solid blue sky, not a cloud. Mm -hmm. We are talking before lunch, and all of us, uh, our our attention, because it made sound like an airplane, we look up and here is exactly like what Art and I had received in the videotapes. It's a large silver plane with a red-orange circle on the tail, and out from behind it is coming this solid line of white. And Jim and I and the others said, my God, this looks like what everybody is reporting we went to lunch after watching this plane for some time in the sky do two or three of those trails. We were at lunch only for an hour because we were at a conference and we had to get back. When we came out of the restaurant, the entire sky of Sedona and that was blue an hour before was a gray white. And Jim and I and the others stood there with this sense of eerie wonder. This is not normal. Who's doing this? Why? What is in that plane? What are these strange uh, crosshatch lines doing? Okay, now jump to Art was still doing Coast to Coast and Dreamland, so this has to have been before uh, 2004. It was probably around 2002. Um and we can mark it uh, even closer that it, uh, the discussion I'm going to describe was only about two years before Edward Teller died. He was still actively working on projects for the United States government. He was still actively working with scientists at the University of California, Berkeley. And in the work that I was doing, I had never stopped trying to find facts about these uh, lines and the skies going milky, and uh, I knew all of the reports about the possibility of chemicals and all of that, but I had not been able to prove it. So suddenly, I am sent a paper that had been presented in Italy by the teller and two scientists from the University of California, Berkeley, in the beginning of the 90s, and the whole paper was because of climate change and that the expected average global temperature of the Earth to keep rising for the 21st century to dangerous levels. Uh, is there anything that could uh, deflect that heating and keep the Earth in a moderate temperate range 
and this was Edward Teller's proposal, presented at this Italian meeting. This happened for real. And it was, in simple... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.